turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We have been in this series on prayer recently. We have uh, dove in, if you will, to the disciples' question to Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Why did they ask Jesus this question? They saw something in Jesus that they did not possess. They desired something from Jesus that they did not have. And so they asked, Jesus, we want from you what we see in you. Teach us to pray. Teach us to have a relationship with God the way that you have a relationship with God. So we see Jesus begin to answer their question in verses 1 through 4 when the disciples ask, Jesus, teach us how to pray. The first thing that Jesus does is he says, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and, and we understand that we went through some practical ways that we can make this personal. And Jesus wants us to not just repeat this prayer, but to personalize this prayer. Right? Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Holy is your name. We join with heaven's angels when we begin to say, holy is your name. Okay? That's what Jesus wanted us to do. Our Father in heaven. Heavenly Father. I'm, I'm glad that I serve a God of structure and I serve a God of holiness, but I also serve a God that's personal enough that he wants me to call him daddy. That he just wants to have a conversation with me. That he just wants to hear from me. And he wants my heart to be right with him. Father in heaven, holy, holy, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in and through me. On earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so Jesus gives a prayer structure. But then in verse 5, the Bible says, Then teaching them more about prayer. Here's what I need you to hear this morning. I need you to understand that Jesus' answer to prayer went beyond the Our Father. Jesus' answer to prayer went beyond just repeating a prayer that he gave us specifically. Not that there was anything wrong with that prayer, but his answer to that prayer went beyond. His answer to Lord, teach us to pray went beyond a repetition or a religious routine. He says, then after he showed them the structure of the Lord's prayer, because he wants our prayer life to go beyond a simple repetitive routine. Are you with me? You guys okay? He wants our prayer life to be more than just something that we can memorize and repeat. There's nothing wrong with that. There's power in that. When you don't know what else to pray, you can pray the word of God. But he wants our prayer life to extend beyond what he has just specifically said. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. All right, because let's just break that down in a common day. Suppose, for some reason, you got yourself up out the bed... <laughs> Or off the couch at 12 a.m. And you went to your friend's house wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, okay, and then you can begin to read this story. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. Because I don't know how you read scripture, but I read scripture personally. And so right here, I see a Boudreaux joke. I see Boudreaux getting up at 12 a.m., and going over to Thibodeau's house and knocking on the door. And Thibodeau hears the knock. And he asks, who is it? And Boudreaux says, Thibodeau, it's me. I have no bread, no. Thibodeau's like, we asleep, man. Go home. Boudreaux says, I can't. My mother-in-law's here, yeah. I don't have no food. She ate everything in my house. <laughs> you come, you're with me. So, so Thibodeau says, hey, look, go away. Like, I don't, I don't have it. 
Now listen, I don't think that God has ever been put in this picture before. But in this parable that Jesus is telling, Thibodeau is the father in the house. And Boudreaux is the one outside of the house knocking on the door and praying and asking, watch this, not for the provision, but for the provider. See, we don't just pray for the provision. We pray to the provider. And when we recognize it's the provider that provides, come on, it's the healer that heals. It's the one that we pray to. It's the Father that feels. It's the forgiveness in God that offers us something to receive. It's the Lord, our banner, that is our... We're not seeking victory. We're seeking the one that purchased the victory. We're not seeking healing. We're seeking the healer. We're not seeking provision. Are y'all okay this morning? We're not seeking provision. We're seeking the provider. And when we seek with persistency we draw a response because Jesus said Jesus said this Chris didn't say this Jesus said that because of his persistence he required a response he he received what he came for listen our persistence in prayer leads to the product of the prayer it was his persistence in that moment that, bout, that brought about the product. So then Jesus continues. When you ask, keep on asking. When you seek, keep on seeking. When you knock, keep on knocking. Because he who asks receives. He who seeks finds and he who knocks the door just like the man standing at the door a minute ago in the story I was telling you about the door will be open listen I came to tell somebody this morning in this service for you never to stop praying don't you ever stop asking don't you ever stop seeking don't you ever quit knocking on the door because there is a product on the other side of your persistency if you will persist in your prayers you will see the production of your prayers. I'm talking to a mama in the room today. I'm telling you it's harder to resist the prayer of a righteous than it is to receive the prayer of the righteous. So every time that you get on your knees before God and you begin to pray about that thing that you don't currently see, every time that you get on your knees before God and you begin to pray for that person that you know needs to come back into his house, it is harder for that person to resist the prayers of the righteous in God than it is for them. They are having to fight off the reception of the prayer. They have to fight it off, not fight for it. You're doing the fighting in your prayer life. And if the Lord's prayer is important, then persistence in prayer is just as important because it's in the same passage. And by the way, we have a tendency to pray according to our past and our present. But God has a tendency of answering according to our present and our future. We pray about what we know has been and what we know currently is. Come on. But we serve a God who knows what was and what is and what is to come. He doesn't just know our past and pray about our present. He answers according to our present and the future that he knows that we need. So when he says no to me having a son, he gives me two baby girls instead. When he says no to me praying over that crazy relationship that I was asking him about, he knew what he had in store for me. Thank God for my unanswered prayers because he knows my future. He knows better than what I know and he knows what I need before I ever even ask for it. But I can still be persistent. My wife shared with me a story of some farmers in Mississippi. I didn't know that a story, a good story could come out of Mississippi, but I, I discovered it in a book, uh, Circle Maker, devotional, I, I highly recommend it's a 40-day devotional written by Pastor Mark Batterson, uh, Circle Maker, 40-day devotional. And in this prayer, he shares a story about some farmers in Mississippi in the midst of a drought. And these farmers decided to call a prayer meeting, and they didn't serve food, so a lot of people didn't show up. 
We show up when we're eating, but we don't show up for prayer. It's crazy how that happens. If I tell the city we're serving food, we're going to have 150 people in here. If I say we're going to have a prayer meeting, we'll have about 15. But thank God he can do as much with a remnant, come on somebody, as he can with a full house. God doesn't need a full house. He just needs a few. He just needs a few that are willing to be faithful. So these farmers, they come in, and one farmer... One farmer, I don't know what his name is, he probably came originally from Louisiana, he just knew. And he came in to the prayer meeting in waders, in a drought, kind of like when Noah was building a boat when it had never rained. He comes into a prayer meeting in waders, and they're all looking at him like, what are you doing? He's like, well, we came to pray for rain, didn't we? So I came prepared for the product of my prayer. I'm preparing for what I'm praying for. If I'm not going to prepare for it. See, we, wanna, we want an answer in a can. We want a drive-through answer to our prayer. But God says you prepare and you persist. And the product will follow your preparation and your persistence in prayer. He showed up in waders. And guess what? He's the only one that went home dry. It was his faith and his preparation combined with his persistence. That brought, about, that brought about the product. In verse 11, Jesus shifts gears and he showed us a structure in verses 1 through 4. And then in verses 5 through 10, he showed us a persistence. In verses 11 through 13, he shows us the person of prayer. He says, now, if your son... Or your child asks you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Or if they ask you for bread, do you give them a scorpion? Now listen, this is where I, I have found, and I just realized this earlier today, that I've actually grown in my relationship with Jesus over the last 10 years or so. Um, we, when I was early in ministry, and, and, and I was, I think, honestly, I was still being saved as, as a youth pastor, uh, and, I, and I, I, I don't need to describe that doctrinally. I'll tell you about that later if you need a question that. But I had this student. See, we would build this thing called a living nativity. And you can go see it, livingnativity.com. It's a great, great thing. You go to that. You can drive up to Searcy, Arkansas and drive through the living nativity. It's really cool. We got giant camels and goats and like all the real stuff, like a real cow that I had to feed and clean out his stuff. And so we, it's, it's really great deal, but we would store that in buildings. And then there would be, this is the first time that I was introduced to a brown recluse. Um, but I met him and all of his family all at the same time as they were just kind of everywhere. But I had the spirit of SWAT in my life. And so I just, I, I don't know how I never got bit. I guess it was just because I was willing to swing real hard and jump off of high things if I needed to. So I didn't ever get bit. But one day we brought this guy or the, everybody would kind of come help us. And there was this one kid that wanted, his mom wanted him to come up and help. And I was like, yeah, you know, send him up here. I'll, I'll give him some stuff to do. So he came and we were working um, and doing some things, but he was kind of being himself. And, and just for a disclaimer, I won't say his name, but Dakota was out playing and searching for snakes and, and spiders and lizards. And he just loved all these. I mean, anything creepy and crawly, Dakota loved it and he went to find it. He liked to catch fish with his bear. He's just an outdoorsy dude. He's a cool little guy. And he went and found a snake. And it wasn't a big snake, but I don't care. Big snake, small snake. Only snake I like is dead snake, okay? So he comes up to me and he's got this snake. And this was, again, I was still being saved. Okay? So it's in the process of sanctification. Judge not lest you condemn yourself. He was holding the, holding the snake up, and I said, Dakota, I don't know what your plans are for that serpent. I'm telling you right now, I will hit you. I will knock you out. Now, I, didn't, I don't think I really would have done it, but I wanted him to believe that I would. And I think I might would punch a kid. At that time in my life, I was... I told him, if you throw that on me, I'm going to punch you in the... I'm going to knock you out, bro. And, and so he was like, ooh. And I said, I'm telling you, bro, I'm not... I will hit you. And, you know, I just wanted him to be convinced. I don't know if I was willing to give up my job over a snake, but I might have been. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I knew, like, okay, fast forward just a little bit later. 
A few years ago, I took Caleb Smith, and we all went on a mission trip to the Apache Indian Reservation in White River, Arizona. And we went one day up to White Mountain, which is a beautiful place. White Mountain, Arizona is the White Mountain uh, Apache tribe. And they had this beautiful lake. They just call it Big Lake, and it is. I mean, it's, it's so simple. It's Big Lake. Yeah, we went to Big Lake. So we were going around, and, and Caleb Smith brought this snake up. And this is where I know I've grown. Because Caleb came up to me, and he didn't give me a warning like Dakota, like, like, ooh, look at the snake. He had heard me share some of these stories before. So Caleb just comes up and he takes that snake and he flings it at me. I know. <laughs> Somebody said, because like, that's what I did, except for it hit me because I didn't realize, like, hmm. I watched it fly through the air. It was like slow motion. I can still see it to this day. Hmm. And it landed on me. I was like, I did like that. And he's like, oh, man, that wasn't a very good reaction. It was like, yeah, dude, I'm not scared of a snake. That's a little bee snake. I ain't worried about no snake. On the inside, I was doing that thing that the lizard on the National Geographic channel does. You know where he runs across the top of the water trying to get away from the thing? That's what I was doing. But I wasn't going to give him the luxury of me being that scared. But the purpose of that is that some people will try to give you things. And if we being evil, no, and those two boys were evil. I'm telling you right now. There was no good in them whatsoever in that moment. Because they knew what I was afraid of and they tempted me with it. And they about got the spirit of slap that I pulled on the spiders. It didn't happen. The Bible says, if we being evil know how to give good gifts. Verse 13, so if you sinful people, well, pastor, I'm not that simple. Okay, please write down all your thoughts between now and Wednesday. Bring them back to me and I'll read them out loud in front of everybody. Yes, you are. Okay, so if we being sinful people, you know, I've never taught my child to be ignorant, not on purpose, but I, I, there are some things like they come up with all, they come up with stupid stuff all on their own. Why? Because we are fallen people in a fallen world. And God's, God recognizes our fallenness and he says, if you being a sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Listen, the Holy Spirit was Jesus's answer to prayer. The disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus gave them a structure. Jesus gave them a story of persistency. And Jesus gave them the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was Jesus' answer to prayer. Jesus told us what to pray, but then he told us who to ask for. Not what to ask for, who to ask for. And his answer was the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 says, It was to us that God revealed these things. Now, just previously in this chapter, the author Paul writes to the church of Corinth and he says, listen, the natural man cannot understand, the carnal mind, the natural mind cannot understand the things of God. Okay? And then he says, but it was to us that God revealed these things. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has in store for those who love him. Okay? And it was to us that God revealed these things by his, help me, spirit, by his spirit. Jesus' answer to prayer in Luke chapter 11, and now Paul's answer to them discovering the things that God has in store for them. For his spirit searches out everything. His spirit is on a search. Okay, listen, I, I, you do not have to, like, it, and it doesn't, like, I don't, it doesn't like make me mad or anything. I just... People do not have to apologize to me for the things that they say in front of me or the things that they do. It's like, oh, pastor, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. You're just being yourself. You don't have to apologize to me. I'm not offended. I'm not the Holy Spirit. He is. The, I'm not Jesus. You don't have to apologize to me. In fact, I'm not offended. When you apologize to me about something that you did in front of me or something that you said in front of me because of my position, I'm not offended. I now see you as an opportunity to share the life-giving message of the gospel. I figure you just don't know Jesus as well as I do, and you have not learned how to listen to his spirit and be convicted by his spirit and changed by his spirit, compelled by his spirit, quite as well as I have currently gotten into the process because I understand that the consequences are not of not listening to him that 
that way are not worth listening to him in that moment. So you don't have to just, you don't have to apologize to me because I'm not him. I'm not searching you. I'm not. Like when we go through the airport, all the people go in front of me, I don't watch. I don't want to see your image. I ain't trying to look. Okay? I go through and I'm like, <laughs> it's the spirit that searches all things. It's not me. I'm not searching anything in you. It's the spirit that searches. And it's the spirit that, that reveals and shows us God's, hang in here with me, deep secrets. Listen, I need you to stop storing your secrets. You need you to start sharing your secrets because you will always, I will always be as sick as my secret. The reason that the Holy Spirit cannot reveal. And they teach this in AA, but they stole it from Scripture. The reason that the Holy Spirit, and it's a great principle, it's why they teach it. The, the reason that the Holy Spirit cannot tell you the secrets of God is because you're still holding on to your own. You're not sharing them with anyone. James says, confess your sins one to another and pray one for another. But the reason that we're not sharing our secrets with people is because we can't trust people. Because we are more interested in competition than we are in completion. Because we are more interested in watching somebody fall than we be are in being a part of building them up. The church is the only army in the world that kills their own wounded when they're already down and discouraged. We we are supposed to be the house and the hospital that people can come to when they're sick. We are supposed to be the place that the broken can enter when they need restoration. We are supposed to be the heart of God for the hurting and the helpless, not a place that casts out condemnation and beats people down when they're already on the ground. Jesus said, woman, do you see those who are condemning you? And she said, no, I see no one. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is supposed to be a house of restoration and a house of healing. You know why our young people are not confessing their sins? They're concealing their sins because they don't, not because they don't want to face the consequences of their sins. They don't want to face the judgment of the people that they have to share them with. Why do pastors continually repeat the same process? Because we're more into destruction then we are restoration. We are more validated by the fall of other people than we are the building up of ourselves. We need to share our secrets and we need to be able to confide in one another because we are a place of completion, not competition. Share your secrets, but people have got to know that their secrets are safe with you. The Bible says confess your sins one for another and pray one for another. The reason we're not confessing is because we're not willing to pray. We talk about their secrets with other people instead of praying with them. We're better at gossiping one for another than we are praying with one for another. And we have got to take that and turn it back into a holy place that people can come to and be genuine and authentic. Somebody's got to help me preach this morning that this is a place of purity and redemption that you can be you and let the Holy Spirit heal you. The only reason that you would be judgmental to someone is if you forget what you came from. I remember who I was. Now listen, that is not the liberty to, for you to remain in your sin. I already addressed that. You will always stay as sick as your secrets. That is the church stepping into their position and anointing as a laborer for the harvest. That this would be a safe place for people to come. You've got two options when it comes to your sin. You cover it up and you keep it. Or you confess it and you move on. Those are the only two options. There is no thing hidden which shall not be revealed. So you can, you can cover it up and try to conceal it. And you can carry it until it exposes you in this life or the next. Or you can confess it to him and confess it one to another. And you can keep it in the past where it belongs. And let God begin to answer your future. My objective this morning is to demystify the Holy Spirit. 
is to remove any preconceived notions of the Holy Spirit. Because anytime that we start talking about a spirit-filled church or a church that is open to the move of the Holy Spirit, we have a mentality and a mindset of some weird people. But let me just set you free today. They were weird way before they received the Holy Spirit. Way before. Okay? They were out of order in every other area of their lives before they ever got out of order in a sanctuary because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some mystical power or force that we should be afraid of. He's not some experience that we should... He brings those things. He is powerful. He is able. He is peaceful. He is willing. But at the end of the day, we do the Holy Spirit in injustice when we limit him to an experience in the altar or by people who are laying on hands. Listen, I'm telling you, there is a last day's revival coming not just to this nation, not just to this city, not just to this state, but to the world. There is one more mighty move of God, and it will only happen by the Spirit of God, and I'm telling you, no walls in a building is going to be able to hold back the church of God when they stop limiting the Spirit of God to a sanctuary, to an altar, or to a seat in that sanctuary. But they learn, we learn how to take the Holy Spirit outside of that door and into the city that God has placed us in as missionaries for His kingdom and His Word. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. He's not a prayer language. He's not a provision. He's the provider. He's a person. He brings an experience. He brings a, a sensation. He brings with him an ability to pray in a language that is unlearned. He brings with him nine gifts because he is the spirit and the giver of those gifts. But he's not an it. So we don't get it. We don't pray it. We don't receive it. We get him. We pray through him. We receive him. We don't even ask for it. We ask for him. And whatever comes along with, not it, but him. And when we take that outside of this altar and out of the hands of a few people that we call anointed, and we put it back into the body like we saw happen in the book of Acts, then the church begins to build itself by leaning on the Holy Spirit like it was birthed to begin with. And that's not going to happen in a staff full of people. It's going to happen in a church full of people who receive the Holy Spirit and remember who He is. John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus says, Jesus says, I will ask the Father... Remember the Apostle John was there when he gave the, the, the liturgy, the breakdown to the disciples in Luke chapter 11. And he remembers Jesus repeating what he had already said in Luke chapter 11. Now over here in John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father. He's not going to give you a serpent. He's not going to give you a scorpion. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. I'm going to come back to that. Who will never, who will never who will never leave you. The advocate, the person that I'm sending in my place will never leave you. This church will be a church that relies on the influence, the power, the peace, the joy, and the self-control of the Holy Spirit. We will be a people who look to the Holy Spirit just as much as we do Jesus as our Savior. Without the Holy Spirit, now some people will say, listen, you can't have a move of God like that. You can't have the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, and the healings, and the tongues, interpretation and prophecy and discernment. You can't have all those nine gifts in your church the way that they had them in their church. Well, if we can't have it, then we just won't grow that way. But I believe that the growth that they experienced in the first century is the same growth that we can experience in the 21st century. And it will not be by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God leading the people of God into the next thing of God. The person of the Holy Spirit. He'll never leave you, verse 17. He, personal pronoun, is the Holy Spirit who 
personal pronoun leads into all truth. You cannot have truth without the Holy Spirit. You are incomplete in prayer without the Holy Spirit. You cannot have love, peace, power, and a sound mind outside of the Holy Spirit. We can't even begin to understand our need for salvation without the Holy Spirit. We should never stop seeking the one that Jesus says will never leave us. The world cannot receive him, watch this, because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. When we begin to pursue an it, we become like the world. But when we begin to pursue him, we begin to become like the disciples of Jesus. Because our answer will not be found in it. Our answer will be found in him. And when we seek him, come on, we won't recognize him alone. When you seek him, you will find him. You will know him when you seek him with all of your heart. Isn't it beautiful how scripture ties this whole thing together and shows us who the person of the the Holy Spirit is because you are not like the world. You, I'm prophesying over somebody this morning that you know him, the person, because he lives with you now and later will continue to be with you. Back up in verse 16. I got to show you this real quick. I'll ask the father and he will give you another advocate. Some versions say another helper. Some versions say another comforter. Okay. Remember, Jesus is saying this. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, I will ask the Father and he will send you the Holy Spirit and he will give you another. Now that word is literally translated one liken unto myself. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to ask and God's going to send and he's going to send the Holy Spirit who is like me. And then comforter or helper or advocate is a word called parakletos. It means one who comes alongside. Okay, so this scripture is literally translated from the mouth of Jesus that I'm going to pray on your behalf to the Father and he is going to send another person like me to come alongside of you, to walk with you, to stand with you, to pray with you, to lean on me with you, to endure with you, and he will never leave you. That's a promise from God. Mark Batterson, same pastor, different story. In two different locations, I, I guess God just wanted to share this this week. He told a story. I did not know that there were people in the world that were less mechanically inclined than me. Okay? I, listen, don't judge me. Okay? I have never not one time changed my oil. That's why I work for a living. I pay somebody else to do it. I believe it's investing in our economy to change the oil. I pay somebody else to do it. Never not one time. Now I've checked the oil. And I've changed it in a lawnmower because it's simple. You just pick the thing up, you hold it upside down, you take all the stuff out, and then you lay it back down, you put some fresh oil in. It's no big deal. I tried to do that with my truck. I just wasn't able. So um, I've never changed my oil, but I, I found out that there are actually people and powerful leaders in the world um, because this guy is National Community Church, multiple campuses, thousands of people in Washington, D.C. He's written several books. One is... Uh, a really good one. My, one of my favorites is In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. It's a story about Benaiah. Another one is Circle Maker. I don't have time to tell you the testimonies of, of the Circle Maker story, but Mark Batterson, all, all the thousands of books that he's read through and then several that he's written, apparently he needs to pick a few up on a motor because he said his own testimony was, one time I literally killed an engine. I did not know that you had to change the oil. I didn't know that. And so I destroyed my first vehicle. I literally, I killed it. Okay, same guy in his 30s leading thousands of people to Jesus, pastoring a church. He's built a coffee shop. They give millions of dollars away annually, give millions of dollars away annually to missions. He's building a new location right now. They're going to explode in Washington, D.C. He's been asked to pray in the Capitol before the Senate. He had a minivan, okay? He is the pastor of a church with a family. He's not like a young 21-year-old because you don't go to a dealership as a single 21-year-old and walk in and they say, Hey, sir, how can I help you? And you're like, I would like a minivan. I want a bad one, too. I want like some Bluetooth 
that can play Blues Clues. Hook me up today. I want my minivan. I'm preparing for what I've been praying for a wife and children, and I'm preparing by my purchase of a minivan. Nobody's ever done that. Maybe you need to. I don't know. But he, he was in his mid-30s with a family. He's a leader. He's a husband. He's got kids. And his vehicle is eight years old. He carried somebody in his church with him somewhere, and they were sitting in the passenger seat, and they looked down. And, do you have that picture? Throw that picture up. Okay, so he, they looked down at his shifter, and his shifter was in four. In his vehicle, it said D4. So he had park, reverse, neutral, D, and D4, and then maybe some other stuff underneath it. And he had his shifter in D4. And so the guy that was riding with him said, Pastor, why do you have your shifter in D4? And he was like, I don't know, because that's how it goes whenever I put it in D4. And so he says, why don't you shift it into D? And he goes, what's D? And he said, it's, it's the next gear to where your van can run the way that it's supposed to. And, and Pastor Mark Batterson has this epiphany in that moment. Eight years, 93,000 miles on a minivan, multiple trips with his family and friends, and no one has ever told him about the fifth gear that he could have shifted into. He has been running on extensive RPMs for eight years, destroying his vehicle, trying to simply get from point A to point B. Listen to me. We have been for too long stuck in fourth gear. We have got to shift into the next gear. Whatever gear it is, we are running at too high of an RPM. We are working harder than we need to work. We are striving harder than we need to strive. We need to connect to the fifth gear. We need to connect to the Holy Spirit. There needs to be a shift in our lives where we get unstuck from our current position and we intentionally engage in the next step that God has for us. And I believe with all of my heart that the next step for me, the next step for you is in stepping into the Holy Spirit. So let me ask this question. Am I operating as efficiently as I was designed? Am I operating at full capacity? You can write that down. You can look at it on your notes on the back of the bulletin. You pull up unischurch.com slash notes. Am I, operating, am I operating as efficiently as I am designed? Now, this morning I said, I'm going to state it differently so we don't get hung up here. But this morning I said, there's one thing that really irritates me. Or actually I said, do you know what really irritates me? And my wife said, a lot. <laughs> so, Ten years later, she's still with me. So it's... What really irritates me about LSU football. What really irritates me about LSU football is over the years, they continually lose to an inferior opponent. They continually lose to a classification of individuals who should not be able to play on the same field as them. They don't have the same number of recruits. They don't have the same number of scholarships. They don't have the height and the depth, the weight and the speed. And yet every year, it seems like my favorite football team goes out on the field and continually loses to an inferior opponent. And it drives me. Look, I can handle getting beat by Alabama. I can handle that. I cannot stand losing to Arkansas. It drives me nuts. I can't stand losing to Florida. We didn't even want that quarterback and he came into the game and beat us because we lose to an inferior opponent. Listen to me. I am sick of watching the modern day church continue to lose to an inferior opponent. Don't tell me that I can't be free from sin. Don't tell me that I am still stuck in my former ways. I serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and 
forever. And if he can fix Peter, James, and John, then he can fix the church in the 21st century. It is the same Holy Spirit and the same Savior that I serve today that overcame death, hell, and the grave. So in him, I have victory. In him, I find peace. In him, I am strong. In him, I am righteous. In him, I got to get some help. I am able to do and to accomplish, to walk in the authority, not as an inferior opponent, but as the victor in whom I serve. I don't lose in Jesus' name. I lose in my name. See, the world hesitates at the mention of Jesus. They don't like his name. But the church hesitates at the mention of his spirit because of some of the same people. And Jesus said, if you love me, wait until you meet the one I'm going to send you. He is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, this is point number three, the Holy Spirit is the helper. He's the helper. Jump back with me to this scripture real quick. Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. It's less than what you were created for. Don't be drunk with lust. Don't be drunk with envy. Listen to me. Don't be drunk with depression. Don't be drunk with anxiety. Share your secret. Get up. Get out. And confess to somebody. Let somebody on earth walk with you the way that the Holy Spirit desires to walk with you. And for some of us, we need to wake up and be that somebody that they could look to and actually see the Holy Spirit as a helper. The Holy Spirit is a helper. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the helper. Now, this always comes up, and I've got to hurry right here, but this always comes up. Well, why do I, I just got to speak in tongues? Or, well, listen, let me just, I, I pray in tongues. I, I do. Like, I, I pray, and what I say, and I pray this over my babies. I say, God, help them to receive your salvation, be filled with your spirit, with the evidence of a prayer language. Because I believe that that's the biblical pattern. And I believe that I can. And it's not because I'm a pastor. Because I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at 19 years old. And I'm not taking shots at another denomination, but I was raised in Southern Baptist and Missionary Baptist Church. And I'm very grateful for my Baptist upbringing. I'm very grateful for my background and, and the foundation that was laid in those years. I just, it's this old joke, but I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I was drugged to every Sunday service, every Sunday night service, every Wednesday service, every prayer meeting, every food, every Bible study, every drama team meeting, every choir meeting. I didn't even want to be there. I was drugged there. I'm thankful. But at 19 years old, I discovered something about the Holy Spirit that I've got to share with you. Because you can argue with my interpretation of Scripture, but you can't argue with my story. At 26 years old, I began to confess even greater because I went through a period where I didn't anymore live for the Spirit than I was before I ever knew anything about Him. And by the way, you'll be known by your fruit. So if you produce lemons, you're a lemon tree. You're not some kind of other tree. And I said coconuts this morning, and there's not, I, mean, I said there's not a coconut tree, but there is a coconut tree. We just refer to them as palm trees. So it's like, we don't ever drop, like I've never been on a ship and be like, oh, look, man, all them coconut trees over there. <laughs> never done that. But you are known by your fruit. So whatever fruit you're producing, that's what you are. Well, I want to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit that dwells within me. And I believe that that prayer language is an integral part of me shifting into the fifth gear. But I, can I be honest? I don't care if you pray in tongues or not to commune with the Holy Spirit. But if you don't pray in tongues, you better find some way, biblical way to pray with the Spirit. You better find some biblical pattern that you can connect to so that you can walk with the Spirit so that you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. I pray with the evidence of a prayer language because I believe that that helps me. I sit in my office one Sunday morning. And I felt like God wanted to do something. Before we had two services, it was about 300 people ago. And I was sitting in there. I felt like God wanted to say something in prayer. And so I just began to pray in the Spirit. 
as the Spirit gave me utterance, I believe according to Scripture, I have that right. I've been given that opportunity. And because the Spirit says I can, because the Word says I can, I began to pray in the Spirit. And I heard the weirdest word. I can't even remember it. I hope I have it written down somewhere. But I was like, what is that? And I Googled it. And it was a, it was a cream for a skin condition. It was a cream for, I, I know, right? That is weird. It was a cream for eczema. And I was like, thank you, Lord. What is that? What do I do with this? Hey, if you have a weird skin thing today, God gave me the umbada, and I Googled it. And it's a skin cream. I don't have the umbada, But if you come today, you know, it's like, I didn't know what to do with that. And so I just kept seeking God. And I was standing on the front row, and I got up, and I said, look, guys, I know this sounds crazy. But this morning in my office, God gave me a word, and it wasn't like a biblical word. It was a weird word. And I Googled it, and it's a cream for a skin condition. So I believe if you're in here today that we don't need the cream because we have the creator of the cream. He's in the house this morning, and if you'll come forward, we're going to pray over you. Listen, what I didn't know is that we had a family in the church that was discussing with another family before service a condition that their child had, and I got up on the stage and opened up the altar for that child to come down, and it was confirmation for that other person that the Holy Spirit was real, and they needed to be here in this church. Thank you, Jesus, for the help on Sunday morning. Speaking a word. When I was on the way to the hospital doctor's office one day, my wife called me. I didn't, she's, and my wife is not an excessively emotional person. I'm that person, okay? You put two of those people in the same house and we're dead five years ago, okay? It doesn't work. So I'm that way, she's not. She's my balance. So she calls me and she's frantic. She says, Chris Emery's having a seizure. She's, she stopped breathing. And, and she's blue and she's seized up. And I, and I was like, my Jesus. I sped out of the parking lot and I started. And listen, I, and I began to just pray. And I, I, I prayed as much English as I knew in that moment. And said, God, please don't take my baby. Please don't take my baby. Please don't take my baby. And I got about halfway there and I just started praying in the spirit. And, I, and, and if you don't believe in that, that's fine. But I do. And I needed it. Because I didn't have any more language. And I began to pray and pray. And listen, by the time I got there, my baby was okay. Now, I'm not saying that that happens every time. But when I don't know what else to pray, I thank God that I have his spirit and that he helps me because he is the helper. And you can take that nugget no matter what you believe about praying in the spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, when we don't know what God wants us to pray for, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings which cannot be expressed in words. So I can't express it in words. Maybe that's not the prayer in tongues. But it's an expression. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6, 18 says, Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Shift into a new gear. Whatever that means for you, you better shift. Because you're stuck in fourth right now and you're going to burn up your engine. And you're going to get stuck on your way to a place that God actually wanted to take you. Either that or by the time that you get there, you're going to be so worn out that you're worthless. Shift into the next gear and let the wind of the Spirit take you to that place. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert. It's almost like Paul had read the gospel at one point. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayer for all believers everywhere. Jude 1.20, but you must build each other up. Stop kicking people when they're down. Stop talking about them when they're not around. You must build people up. Build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the helper. Pray in the power of the person. Pray in the power of Jesus' answer to teach us how to pray. Pray in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the answer to the next move of God in your life, in this city, in this state, in this nation, and all the way around the world. And it will not be contained to an altar, a person, or a building. It will be contained and expanded, exploded by the Spirit of God. Jesus, help us today, right now, to hear from your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We can't even begin to understand the things that you have for us when we don't acknowledge you. It's by your spirit that we hear, so help us to hear. Give us ears right now. 
I want to talk to the followers of Jesus in the room this morning. Those who are living for him. You've received salvation. You're confident in that. But you know that you have been stuck in a certain gear for too long. And you need to shift gears. You know that you are not operating as efficiently as you are designed. You're not operating at full capacity. And you need to shift. You need to do something practical. You need to do something powerful. You need to do something spiritual. You need to do something physical. To shift into the next phase. If I'm talking to you and you're a believer in Jesus, then I believe that the Holy Spirit is perfectly capable of revealing to you what that is. So if you know today that he's speaking to you and you would just like to admit it to yourself and say, Pastor, I need prayer in that area. Would you just lift your hand right where you are and say, that's me. I need a shift. I need to move up into the next gear, into the next phase and take the next step. Father, I thank you for the hands that are raised and even the ones that are not because they're being raised in our heart. And you know our thoughts before we have them. So I pray that you would help us from this point on to be obedient to your will. Reveal in us what it is that we need to confess. Reveal in us what it is that we need to share, be accountable to. Reveal in us the adjustments that we need to make. It may just be one inch of one move that we need to make in order to get from the current circumstance, situation, or gear into the next phase through the next step. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would reveal it and give us the obedience to do it. Let me ask you one more question this morning. If you're in the house and you're not a believer or you're not following Jesus, maybe you believe in Jesus, but you know that you're not living for him. The Bible says you know that you know him if you're living for him. And if you abide in him, then you will bear the fruit thereof. And today you need to make that right. You need to receive salvation. We're just going to pray with you. We're not going to call you to the front. I don't believe the next move of God is limited to an altar or a person. I believe God is just as able to save you right in your seat as he is to save you up here in front of everybody. But you've got to be honest with yourself and honest with the spirit that dwells within you and say, hey, I know that he's talking to me. I know that if the Holy Spirit is calling me today to receive salvation, to recommit my life to Jesus, and I want to do it right now, I want you to lift your hand all over the sanctuary. Pastor, that's me. I need your prayer. Thank you. I want to agree in prayer today. I want to make this thing right. I don't want to leave here wondering where I stand with Jesus. Anybody else, just lift your hand. All we're going to do is pray with you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm giving you just a second. I see you. I see you. I see you. Church, I need you to pray with us this morning. Listen, whether you raised your hand or whether you didn't, the Bible says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Come on, let's do it together this morning. With all of our hearts, say it out loud. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. Take my life. Make it yours. Help me to follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. Holy Spirit, I believe in you. I will walk with you and achieve your will for my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, if you believe that, give God praise in his house this morning. Come on, stand up.